That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Hello, friends and neighbors. It's Friday morning. Time for another Reporters Roundtable on the Bill Press Pod. Thanks so much for joining us. Well, another busy week and maybe another warning sign for Republicans heading into 2024. Because no doubt, reproductive rights won big in Tuesday's off-year elections in Ohio, Virginia, and Kentucky, with Republicans going in one direction on that issue and apparently American voters going in another. Joe Manchin dropped the biggest bombshell of the week, announcing he will not run for re-election to the Senate in 2024, while not rejecting a possible run for president. But no such hesitation on the part of Jill Stein, two-time Green Party candidate for president, who jumped in again this week, insisting that the third time's the charm. Meanwhile, daughter Ivanka testified in her daddy's trial in New York, and Daddy refused for the third time to appear on the stage with the five other Republican presidential wannabes still standing. And a little breaking news today, Vice President Kamala Harris heading to South Carolina in a yet unannounced visit to file papers for Joe Biden and her, of course, to run in the 2024 Democratic primary in South Carolina, officially for Democrats, the first in the nation. Whoa, a lot of news, as I said, and no way to keep up with all of it without the help of trusted political reporters, three of the best of whom join us today. Emily Gooden, U.S. political reporter for the DailyMail.com. Hi, Emily. Hi, Bill. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And John Bennett, editor-at-large and analysis columnist for CQ Roll Call and writer of the CQ Afternoon Briefing. Hello, John. Good morning, Bill. And Lynn Sweet, columnist and Washington bureau chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. Good to be here, Bill. All right. I want to start with the big uh, off-year elections uh, this week. Uh, John, uh, you know, these off-year elections always have some kind of a message or have something to say about the big one coming up in the following year, right? Mm -hmm. I think this year, no exception. What did we learn from this year's off-year elections? I think what we learned is um, Republican optimism about expanding their uh, five-seat majority in the House and, and taking back the Senate, um, you know, might be a bit optimistic. You know, we saw in Virginia uh, voters handed control of, of the entire legislature to Democrats. Ohio uh, voters uh, decided to establish uh, abortion rights. And um, Governor Bashir, uh, a very young governor, I believe he's 45, won a, a Democratic governor in Kentucky, deep red Kentucky, mm -hmm. uh, comfortably won a second term. So, and, and, you know, stop me if you've heard this before, things were bluer Tuesday night than expected. <laughs> of course, this comes after 2022. There was talk, especially in the House, of a, a so-called red wave. And, you know, Republicans yeah, were going to have an right. 18, 20 seat majority. That didn't happen two years ago. 
And Tuesday night, we learned that, um, you know, in, in those three states and other places, Democrats had a very good night. So even though Joe Biden's poll numbers and the, the latest round for him were nothing short of dismal, um, there is some renewed hope on the Democratic side that um, as these issues like abortion rights, as voters get in and get their ballot or get in the get in the, the, the booth to cast their vote, that they're siding with Democrats on these issues. Right. Um, suburban voters, particularly Emily, uh, it is true that the big winner, if you look at Ohio, you look at Virginia, you look at Kentucky, the common thread there uh, were was reductive, reproductive rights. And they won big time uh, in all three states, which it's just, I don't know. Doesn't that show the Republicans really haven't figured out how to deal with the impact of the Dobbs decision? Yeah, you're right, Bill. That was a huge issue, and Democrats know that. President Biden is campaigning heavily on that issue, not just him. Vice President Harris brings it up repeatedly. Jill Biden brings it up repeatedly. But one interesting observation I had about Tuesday night that I just wanted to throw out there. You know, John mentioned these great wins, including Governor Bashir in Kentucky. Joe Biden never campaigned for Governor Bashir. He didn't go anywhere near Kentucky. Um, in fact, he didn't go to a lot of these swing states. So Democrats did pretty good without him. How does that translate to 2024? Well, we'll have to see. But just wanted to throw that out there. Yeah, uh, right. Uh, and by the way, that was a conscious decision, I think, on the part of the White House and probably the best decision. Right. Absolutely. Uh, recognizing that if he wasn't going to help, might as well stay out of it. I, I do have to point out that Joe Biden did tweet at, at the end of Tuesday, uh, kind of poking the fun at, at Trump. He, his tweet was, we haven't stopped winning. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, so, Lynn Sweet, when you look at Tuesday's Tuesday night's return, uh, particularly Ohio, Virginia um, and, and Kentucky, um, the fresh kind of new face on the national scene, even though he's been there as governor for a while, was Andy Bashir with a stunning win uh, in Kentucky. Here he is on election night. Tonight, Kentucky made a choice. A choice not to move to the right or to the left, but to move forward for every single family. It was a victory that sends a loud, clear message, a message that candidates should run for something and not against someone, and a clear statement that anger politics should end right here and right now. So he kind of earned himself a spot on the national stage, Lynn. Do you agree? Oh, he did. Maybe a vice presidential ticket <laughs> for a year or so now. But what was interesting in his speech maybe even instructive, is he talked a lot about projects he did and not social issues. Almost every time, to contrast, that you hear a general speech from Illinois Governor Pritzker. He talks about being the home of abortion rights and human rights. He, 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 he is very heavy on social issues. Uh, Bashir talked about uh, bricks and mortar and infrastructure. And it's just interesting as one other thing here that to be noted, if you're talking about projects, you're also talking to a strength of President Biden. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, if, if Bashir is a governor who rose in stature Tuesday night, 
Uh, we have to add, there's probably a governor just across the river from us <laughs> in Virginia. Uh, Lynn, let me give you a take on uh, Glenn Youngkin's fortunes sank Tuesday night. Would you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there are people here who had been flirting with the idea of getting him into the race as a late starter Republican savior. And that's not going to happen now. Right. Just done. Uh, and actually, after this third debate, it's hard to see how anyone at this point can jump in and make a difference without a lot, a lot of momentum behind them. Right. Uh, just a footnote here. Of course, we all know Ohio became the seventh state uh, to um, enshrine reproductive rights in the Constitution since the Dobbs decision. Uh, the abortion opponents have not won one of these rounds. Uh, reproductive rights people have won all seven. And next year, there will be measures on the ballot in Arizona, South Dakota, Missouri, Florida, and a couple of other states as well. So this battle is going to continue. Meanwhile, John Bennett, Joe Manchin dropped the bomb this week. My question is, did he really have any choice? I mean, every poll that I saw showed that he was losing big time to Jim Justice. So is he making a decision or just accepting reality? What, what do you think? Definitely accepting reality. Um, yeah, he was not going to, to win another term. Uh, the state, you know, the, the state's always been red. He's been able to be something of a, well, definitely a walking anomaly in West Virginia. Um, and, you know, I, I think it's a sign uh, that, you know, the Senate is about to get a little bit more like the House and, and you know, things are going to be harder to pass. You're not going to have Manchin, you know, there in the middle, Kirsten Sinema. Um, you know, would would be the natural person to to occupy that 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 swing vote uh, in the middle there if she survives. Uh, but <laughs> right. Yeah, Manchin. You know, one thing about Manchin is you, you do have to wonder, um, and you, you do have to wonder some of these times where he um, interjected himself and he was the swing vote. Uh, you know, sometimes he folded and didn't get a lot from it. And you know, you do have to question how much of it was performative and how much of it was really pursuing some policy or some win for West Virginia. Um, and I can say after covering this, after covering many of these, these mansion moments, um, <laughs> I'm not going to miss that. I'm not going to miss <laughs> nature. I'm not going to miss, you know, the, the, the hand to hand combat down a hallway in, in Dirksen to try to get you know his latest thinking, which changed two hours later. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's just time to go. And I think it, I think he realized that it was just time to go. Uh, I had to laugh so many of the headlines, even this morning, across the border saying, oh, this is such bad news for Democrats. They're losing Joe Manchin. And I thought, I think a lot of Democrats feel <laughs> they'll be glad to see him walk out the door. But, of course, it does mean they'll lose a seat in West Virginia. So, um, Emily, Joe Manchin did tease again. He's going to be going around the country now, seeing if there's a room for a third-party candidate. I mean, is he seriously, do you think, considering a no-labels run? And does he believe if he can't get reelected in West Virginia, he can win nationwide? <laughs> well, I was chuckling a little a little bit when John was saying Joe Manchin's going to go. He's not quite going, John. You may get stuck chasing him still, but maybe this time in New Hampshire or Iowa. I'll see you there. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know, right? Um, 
it's still a bit of a curiosity of what No Labels is trying to do. Um, they're trying to get on the ballot in several swing states, which could make a difference in the election. And that's what has Democrats worried. Whether Joe Manchin can win nationally remains to be seen. I think it builds a good platform for Joe Manchin and what he wants to do next, whether that's write a book or whatever, you know, politicians do when they're done with elected office. So it can't hurt him. It may hurt the Democrats, but it's not mm-hmm. going to hurt Joe Manchin. Well, Lynn, if there was hesitation on Joe Manchin's part, no hesitation on the part of Jill Stein. She did it in 2012, Green Party candidate for president. And they're on the ballot in most states. She did it in 2016. And she's back in 2024. Um, a threat? to Joe Biden, a serious threat? What do you think, Lynn? It's serious. It doesn't have to be serious to be a threat. Uh This is totally vanity. Uh, She's a native of Illinois. Uh, (laughs) There you go. I I think she's from Highland Park even. So she's got, she, she knows what she's doing. She has, I mean, here's kind of my uh, cheater's proof that this is a vanity run. She has not been active in any cause or any issue or any policy that she has is identified with in these intervening years between her presidential runs. Has she accomplished something? Did she did under mm-hmm. uh, out of office? Did she create the biggest uh, EV nonprofit that has led you name a state into some uh, particular success? Has she solved any problem facing our society or even addressed it? Now, Maybe, you know, it's, it's like fool me once, it's on, mm-hmm. how does it go? Fool me once, it's on you. Fool me twice, it's on me. Uh, so if she, I, if she really does go through and do it on the green ballot, the green, ball, the green party, rather, has ballot access in states. Yeah. So it's a shortcut. What, uh, so it is a threat because you have a lot of new voters every cycle who now have, and, and, and you know, let's get real. There are problems that the Democratic Party is going to have in the wake of the Israeli-Hamas war. There are people who will not feel comfortable voting for Trump, obviously, because if that's your issue, that ain't going to make anything better. And so people could be, uh, who don't, and I don't want to seem like I'm talking down to anybody, but uh, in the end, in our system, it's a binary choice in mm-hmm. the end. Right. Uh, show me viability to the road to 270, and uh, then you should be in the race. If you have a cause bigger than yourself, perhaps be in the race. Right. Yeah. But Will Steiner has no reason to do this, and she knows that she could be an enabler of a second Trump term. Yeah, John, that, that's the point. I mean, I don't believe that she got any electoral votes in 2012 or 2016, but in 2016, when Hillary versus Trump, she got enough votes in Pennsylvania, she, Jill Stein, got enough votes in Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin, that if all of those votes went to Hillary Clinton, Hillary Clinton would have won the election. Exactly. And that's why this is a problem uh, for Joe Biden. And, you know, let's, it, and it's a math problem, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, to, to Emily's point about Senator Manchin, you know, if, if he runs no labels or some other third party. Well, Joe, Joe Biden quickly has a big math problem because 
you know, I've reported, I'm sure Lynn and Emily too, uh, Hispanic voters, uh, black voters, and now you have, you know, Palestinian uh, voters and, and Arab voters are upset with President Biden. That coalition, it's like an onion right now. And several layers, um, several layers are, are peeled off. That doesn't mean they won't come back or they won't ultimately decide Biden versus Trump. I, I can't allow Trump to come back. So I'm, I'm going to, you know, hold my nose and vote for Joe Biden. That could happen. And some people will do that. But if he's got two, two candidates peeling votes off and, and big parts of that coalition are upset with him. And then other people are, you know, they, they think he's kind of meh or they don't like this policy or that policy. Well, the math problem just gets worse for Joe Biden. So behind the scenes, I got to think, you know, they're, they're already talking to Matt and they're talking to Stein and, and they're trying to quash this, but there are, there are a lot of good reasons for the other two uh, to get in the race. Yeah. By the way, just a, a little a point on this. I noticed this this morning, and it, it struck me uh, as uh, interesting at any rate. That so, let's say Stein Stein does run, or well, she is running. Uh, if you look at Joe Biden, if if the if the field ends up being Joe Biden, Donald Trump, Cornell West, RFK Jr., Jill Stein, and Joe Manchin, all six of them are over over seventy years old. So. There you go. <laughs> all this talk about we need a new generation of politicians. Even if all those people jump in, it uh, looks like we're not going to get it. All no, right. It just, it just shows that a 70 is the new 40. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which some of us can say proudly, right? <laughs> all right. Hey, there was another big, maybe you missed it, but there was another big Republican debate this week. Well, not so big. Uh, the big guy wasn't even there. Uh, we'll get into that and the rest of the news of the week after a quick break here on the Bill Press Pod, today's roundtable. And we'll be back with Lynn Sweet from the Chicago Sun-Times, Emily Gooden from DailyMail.com, and John Bennett from CQ Roll Call. Well, friends, a couple of things happening this week. One is uh, the weather people are warning us, are advising us that we could be facing a very cold winter with more snow than we've seen in maybe the last five years. That's number one. And number two, the holidays are approaching. Two good reasons for you to stop and think about up holiday shopping. And maybe now's the time for a very special gift for myself or someone I love and I want to direct you one more time to Carol Press Scarves. Carol Press, my wife, the real talent in the family, uh, a weaver, makes these beautiful hand-woven scarves uh, with rayon chenille or bamboo. Every one of them is handmade. Every one of them is a work of art. Many different designs and colors to choose from. Uh, I, so please check out our website at carolpressscarves.com. Com. carolpressscarves.com. She makes every one of them in the studio in back of our house. They're the best gift you can think of for yourself, again, or someone you love. Uh, time for the holidays now. Check out carolpressscarves.com. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, 
the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And we're back with today's roundtable here on the Bill Press Pod. So happy to have with us John Bennett. Editor-at-large at CQ Roll Call, Emily Gooden, political reporter for the DailyMail.com, and Lynn Sweet, columnist and Washington Bureau Chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. So the big debate, uh, Wednesday evening, five candidates on stage. Most people say Nikki Haley came away as the strongest of the evening. I, but I think the real question, Lynn, is why even bother to have these debates? Trump wasn't there, and we all know he's a big front runner. Did it sar- serve any purpose at all? It did not uh, create a front runner for second place. I mean, it didn't change anything. That uh, the you know, if this was a Twilight Zone episode, the uh, the plot would not have changed on it unless we have some uh, Rod Serling comes in and rearranges things. Uh, it, it was not. It was just all a favor to Donald Trump. And these and yes, Nikki Haley is the best debater. In all three debates, she did the best. But there the how am I gonna say this politely? <laughs> Don't bother. Okay. <laughs> but, okay, here's the thing. They're acting as if Donald Trump is not the front runner. And since none of them really will be picked to be his vice president. Uh, the point is to do something to make a dent in him, complaining that he didn't get Mexico to build the wall. wall. Well, Governor DeSantis, that that's like throwing a piece of sand at him, <laughs> not you know one grain of sand. The the inability, and you know, Chris Christie hit him on his criminal woes, but not as strong as he could. But but the that the others basically pretended that this is all on the level, uh, maybe shows that. They just don't have a a strategy for winning. Well, yes, I mean Emily, on that point, uh, Lynn's point, you can't you can't take somebody down unless you're willing to run against him, right, and criticize him. Uh, and again, eh, to a little bit, maybe they had something uh, critical to say about Donald Trump, but not really. Nobody, not even Chris Christie, Wednesday night was really to slam him. No, he wasn't. You're right. And I saw Ron DeSantis was kind of trying a new line of like, this is not the Donald Trump we elected the first time, which I guess is maybe his way of trying to win Trump supporters while criticizing Donald Trump. Again, it's all, Leslin said, it's not going to get anyone to second, you know, to the head of second place. Um, I, honestly, people I talk to, Republicans, Democrats alike, everyone seems 
to see Donald Trump as the nominee. Yeah. Obviously not a vote has been cast yet, but the he's so strong in the lead. How do you how do you take down a giant? It, well, again, you don't take him down by ignoring him, right? Well, for one yes. thing, for sure. <laughs> well, certainly one person on that stage who could not be ignored uh, was Vivek Ramaswamy, who probably proved once again that he is the most obnoxious person in American politics today. Um, here he is. We've become a party of losers at the end of the day. We have a cancer in the Republican establishment. Let's speak the truth. I mean, since Ronna McDaniel took over as chairwoman of the RNC in 2017, we have lost 2018, 2020, 2022, no red wave that never came. We got trounced last night in 2023. Yeah. <laughs> and at one point, Nikki Haley, of course, turned to him, John, and said, you're just scum. <laughs> right. Yes. Uh, Mr. Ramaswamy had attacked her daughter. Uh, who used TikTok. And of course, uh, the one one thing the candidates agreed on Tuesday night is um, to ban uh, TikTok. So, you know, you just don't see that uh, candidates going after the children of another candidate. And and yes, uh, the, the Haley daughter is, is 25. She's an adult. She's still really young. And, you know, it was just, it was really in poor taste. And um, I know what my mother would have done in that situation, and that's what that's what Nikki Haley did. She defended her daughter, um, calling him scum, and you know, again, it, just an extraordinary moment. And you know, I agree with Lynn that that Haley has been the best debater uh, through these three events. Um, but again, it's not it's not propelling her automatically into second place. It's helping her. Um, you know, she's leading in New Hampshire. She's closed the gap for second on DeSantis in Iowa. I would expect that to continue, but you know, it's not like it's not like she's picking up, you know, 10 percentage points overnight or anything. There's there's no bump out of these debates and of course you had President Trump 25 miles away um at a small high school football stadium in Florida and you know, I went back and forth between the debate and the Trump rally. I don't recommend that at home. Um, <laughs> just don't. It didn't make for a, a restful night of sleep afterwards. Um and I thought Trump was I, I, I you know I'll, I'll borrow a phrase from the former president. A, a bit low energy um, on Wednesday night at his rally. It was almost like he held a rally just to counter program the debate. I, he wasn't at his sharpest. I mean, he had his moments where he got revved up and was feeding off the crowd and everything. But um, you know, we're kind of suddenly we're, we're slow walking. I feel like a little bit in this cycle, but. You know, I was at the White House yesterday for a pen and pad about infrastructure and and really their message on infrastructure was, you know, we're holding our best stuff message wise for later because the voters aren't aren't paying that close of attention. And I get that sense from Trump. He's worried about trials. He's got this big lead. I'm going to hold a rally at the debate time, but I'm not going to really go at it the way I, I usually do. But I think, you know, by by January, late January, February, we're going to be in the thick of it. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned Donald Trump, and he did have that. Uh, it should become his pattern now, right, to to uh, counter-program uh, any of the Republican debates. That, and that started, of course, four years ago. Um, but, Emily at, that, Emily, at that debate, here is Donald Trump getting confused again uh, between on an issue, in this case, confused between North Korea and China. The press hates when I say they're smart. He said they were smart. Well, what am I supposed to say? They're stupid people? 
Kim Jong-un leads 1.4 billion people. And there's no doubt about who the boss is. And they want me to say, he's not an intelligent man. They get very personal when I say that because they're fake news. That's why. But, of course, Kim Jong-un does not preside over 1.4 billion people. My question, Emily, is are we in the media giving Donald Trump a pass by not making out, pointing out more often these malaprops that that every time he speaks now, these, you know, he accused Jeb Bush of starting the war in Iraq. He accused Joe Biden of likely to start World War II. You know, there's a whole series of these lately. Um yeah, no, I know what you mean, Bill, but as someone who covered the four years of the Trump presidency, I mean, we were pointing this stuff out constantly. And, you know, I go to these Trump rallies and talk to supporters and they just see that as who he is. Oh. Like they just they that's part of his persona, this larger than life. I always kind of think of, you know, the circus master in a Ringling Brothers circus, you know, the greatest show on earth. And that's while people are there to be entertained and they see Trump as Trump. So yeah, we can keep pointing these out, but I, I also think back to that town hall and CNN that Donald Trump did with Caitlin Collins and she did great pushing back at him on everything. And a lot of people thought Trump won that meeting. So, but, but I would say, I think maybe the point is if Joe Biden were to make those same mistakes over and over again, I mean, yeah, right. No, can I can I jump in on that? Yeah, please. I've often thought of of Trump and his supporters. um, Think back to Brett Favre and and really the heyday of of his Green Bay Packer career. And, you know, Packer fans loved Brett Favre, but he had an interception problem and he would throw terrible interceptions in the fourth quarter. They had a hard time, you know, ever getting over the hump in the playoffs with Brett Favre. But they just they just accepted it. That's part of 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 being a Brett Favre pan, fan. It's part of being a Packer fan, and that's kind of how Trump supporters look at Trump. Right, as Emily said, right. that they that's exactly Got what it. they tell us too. Is that's yeah. just who he is. I I to- I think you are both totally right. But my question is, should the media just accept it as that's who Trump is, and yet make a big deal about every time Joe Biden might make some? forget somebody's name or something i agree with emily i was there too we did point it out we asked them about it you know arguing with with his various press secretaries in the briefing room about that morning's tweets and we Mm -hmm. did point it out but you know so so i agree with emily we 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 tried we did try but there was so much every day and and i was back in missouri last month visiting relatives and it, it does kind of amaze me how Trump, nothing sticks to this man, but all my family were asking me, oh, is Joe Biden really running for re-election? Oh, is he really senile? Oh, is he, you know, (laughs) too old and falling over? So the Trump attacks on Joe Biden are sticking in a way that nothing sticks to him. It's kind of a fascinating phenomenon. I would love to be around 100 years from now as, you know, historians and psychiatrists dissect this. What do you think? What do you think, Lynn? It's a continuation of, uh, of, of Trumpism. It, it's uh, see the the bottom line is is that uh, Trump is continuing to do what he does because he's successful at it, and the uh, you know press writ large giving a pass. Uh, I think that stopped years ago. I think his uh, his uh, senior moments, however, 
uh, could be amplified, sure, but when they happen, they're a bit more subtle than some of Biden's senior moments. So the point is not to stop, for journalists to continue to do their jobs and point this out, uh, knowing that it may not uh, matter any more than anything that anyone has written about Trump matters, nor any criminal indictment. It, it doesn't mean that we continue, but it does mean that the people who interview Trump have got to do a better job, meaning what the next one who gets to Trump and he does give interviews instead of, you know, let, let's take the uh, Israeli Hamas war conflict. It isn't enough to say, as they did on the debate stage, that they're for Netanyahu and let's finish the job. So that's your first statement. What is your vision for Gaza after that? What is your vision for creating a Palestinian uh, rule within Gaza? Do you want Israeli occupation? There are questions left unanswered, even by the Republicans. Uh, no one, I am always frustrated when I see these uh, Trump interviews because the, the questioners never even try hard enough to move the needle. And he is also very, very good at evading questions. Well, Lynn, we look forward to your uh, next interview with uh, with Donald Trump. Meanwhile, there are three three more issues. Let's touch on just briefly before we wrap here today. Um, starting with Emily, you were in the courtroom in New York with Ivanka Trump's testimony. Um, I don't know what what came out of that other than the fact that she was wearing a blue pantsuit, which is what the front page of the New York Times was reporting on. <laughs> she did look great in that pantsuit. Um, <laughs> really, I, I, I want to get it for myself. Um, no, she she was very calm, composed, and professional on the stand. Not ruffled, smiled, answered everything politely as she repeatedly said, I don't remember, I don't remember, and I don't remember. So, uh, yes, correct. Not much came out of that except I don't remember. But what I do think the reason they called her to the stand for was the New York State attorneys read several emails between her, between Trump Organization officials, between her and Jared Kushner, her husband. And these emails were very telling about how they knew that the Deutsche Bank in Germany needed a network number, a net worth number for Donald Trump. It talked about the special low interest rates they were getting. So while Ivanka's testimony may not be that compelling, all the evidence they were able to enter because they subpoenaed her mm -hmm. tells a different story. So she she did help the prosecution maybe indirectly is what you're saying. Indirectly. And it also yeah. shows why she fought so hard not to be subpoenaed. Right. All right. Now, here we are here in Washington, D.C. And of course... We've got um, John Bennett. One week to go. Boy, how many times have we been down this road, right? One week to go before the government shutdowns. Mike Johnson is in charge. Uh, he keeps coming up with these different ladder plans or kind of whatever. How do you read it? How is he doing in his first week as speaker? And is he going to avoid a government shutdown? John, what's your read? Well, all I can tell you is uh, two more spending bills were pulled this week on the House floor including uh, one yesterday, over the moderate Republicans objecting to language that would bar the District of Columbia from preventing discrimination based on reproductive rights, 
and conservatives objecting that to the uh, General Services Administration selecting a site in Maryland, not far from the district for the new FBI headquarters. Uh, I believe they wanted the, the, the Virginia bid for that one. Um, so they can't even pass what are usually pretty routine spending bills. By the way, Republicans wrote those spending bills and they can't even pass them on the floor. Now, uh, you know, there, there's to Democrats, there's so much in those bills that are objectionable that you're not really going to get a, enough Democrats anyway if if you were in a deal making mood. Um, to pass these bills and, and to set up conferences with the Senate. These bills, these spending bills are vastly different than what the Senate Appropriation Committee has uh, written their versions of the bills. You know, I was, I've been going back and watching uh, the, the the program House of Cards on Netflix and, you know, Majority Whip Underwood and then Vice President Underwood, where I am, you know, he's trying to, to wheel and deal and and he's talking to the Republican leadership and trying to count votes and, you know, I'll give you this if you give me that. That's not happening in the House right now. And, you know, they're insistent. Republicans are insistent on on, on abiding by the Hastert rule, which is passing bills with, you know, a majority in the majority or just Republican votes. And they can't. They, they just can't. I think it's safe to say that right now. They can't. And, you know, conservatives do not like continuing resolutions. They don't mind a government shutdown. They've told me and, and our reporters, our great budget team, the same thing that, well, a government shutdown for a few weeks wouldn't be the end of the world. And now they have one of their own holding the gavel, Mike Johnson. So, I mean, if you had to bet, um, I, would, I, would, I would advise betting on a sporting event. It might be a little safer. But I think you have to, you, you, you have to maybe even hedge a bet that the government right now is on, on path to shut down because, you know, what if Chuck Schumer and Mitch McConnell at some point next week send over a clean CR? Is Mike Johnson really going to put a clean CR on the floor if conservatives are, are, are going to threaten to vacate the speakership again? And oh, by the way, despite everyone writing stories a month and a half ago or a month ago, that, you know, there's bipartisan support to raise that threshold from one member could trigger a vote to vacate the speakership. They didn't. It's still at one. So as they trickle back in next week, we'll start to get a sense of can the House pass something relatively clean, maybe a few weeks, maybe into January. Sometimes what we've seen with these spending bills so far is there is momentum. It looks like they're going to pass. And then just before they're they're ready to go start voting on the floor, you know these four conservatives and these six moderates have various uh, objections, and they can only lose four votes. So yep. mm -hmm. it's I I just don't see how the government doesn't shut down. But I was wrong. Uh, I, I've been wrong on this uh, a couple times. So maybe they'll figure this out next week. And then the other question is if uh, if uh, uh, Johnson does put a clean resolution on the floor. Will he keep his seat? <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, chances are not. Okay, and Lynn, the big news of the day, the breaking news of the day, we found out this morning, is that Vice President Kamala Harris is going to South Carolina, meeting with uh, Congressman Jim Clyburn, and filing papers for Joe Biden to run in the now new first Democratic um, state in the uh, Democratic primary, uh, South Carolina. 
Um, so it's full speed ahead for Biden-Harris 2024. Right. And uh, this was not telegraphed well in advance uh, with some kind of big, you know, run up and drum roll yeah, to it. Yeah. Now she was in Boston yesterday doing a labor event and doing a fundraiser. So uh, it's also symbolic. Remember, everyone, that the Democrats are skipping Iowa. And apparently, uh, I think filing starts in New Hampshire. But South Carolina is the state that made Joe Biden president. Jim Clyburn is the man who helped South Carolina uh, make Joe Biden the president. He went there after miserable showing in Iowa and New Hampshire, and it brought him back to life. And of course, Kamala Harris is an obvious choice for this because she, you know, she's just the right person to pick for this. The nation's first female uh, African American uh, and part South Asian uh, uh, vice president. So it, it 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 is vital, I guess, for the campaign to go on. And if there's any place you want to make a splash with your filing, it's South Carolina. Yeah, uh, and I just want to play for you, Lynn and 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 uh, Emily and John too. So um, President Biden was out joining the UAW. Uh, celebrating not only their total victory in the, in their strike against Ford and GM and Stellantis, but celebrating the reopening as part of that deal of a Stellantis plant uh, in um, Belvedere. Belvedere, Belvedere, yeah, Illinois. Belvedere, Illinois. Thanks, Lynn. Um, and while Joe Biden was speaking, uh, somebody either fainted or fell or something. And here is the president's quick response. That's not too much to ask. You OK? want the press to know that wasn't me. I thought that was a pretty good pickup there, Lynn. Uh, is this a, maybe a side of Joe Biden we're going to see more of? The best political humor is self-deprecating humor. Yep. You can't lose. Yeah. Mocking yourself never gets old. <laughs> no matter was, how old you are <laughs> right and he was making a point right okay media yes. that was not me right make sure you say that i'm not the one who fell yeah that's good and with that boy what a busy week but what a great panel to wrap it all up for us a big thank you uh to john bennett to emily gooden and to lynn sweet uh but before we let you go uh everybody i talked to about the round table they always like best the favorite stories of the week so uh, here we go. Emily, uh, how about if you start us off? Sure. Happy to. I know we've talked a lot about the Trumps, and I'm going to do it one more time. All right. In the Washington Post, there is a story asking the question that we all wonder about. Where is Melania? Yes. Where is Melania? I've done a few stories on this on myself. Um, the former first lady has not been seen in public with her husband since he announced his second campaign, um, the second his bid for a second term in the White House. Now, we at the Daily Mail have seen some photos of her at with him at Mar-a-Lago. For example, there was a big Halloween party there and she joined him for dinner around the pool, her and her parents did. Um, and then they did some family occasions when um, Arabella Kushner, who is Jared and Ivanka's daughter, got bought bat mitzvahed. Uh, Donald and Melania were there and some photos were published and that looked lovely. So she is around somewhere, <laughs> but not at her husband's side, which is quite intriguing as he goes through court case after court case after court case 
and she doesn't even come to campaign rallies. Yeah, you would think uh, that uh, that you would see normally, right? The wife of the candidate or the wife of the or the first lady at the president's side or the former president's side, right? So, well, when you uh, figure out that mystery, I hope you'll be writing about it, Emily. I'm curious too. And any of your and if any listeners have seen her, please email me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put our picture on milk cartons, right? Miss, <laughs> yeah. Missing children. Uh, how about you, Lynn? Uh, what caught your attention this week particularly? Well, it's still the ongoing conflict uh, in, in the domestic and international implications of the Israeli-Hamas war. Mm. Uh, it, 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 there, there is so much to report on and most important to explain. Yeah, absolutely. It's it, it, it. We cannot. I mean, it's just overwhelming every day, right? Uh, yes. Following it, and uh, I, I, little glimmers of good news, like a four-hour pause to enable some people to get out, is like all we can cling to. It seems for now, at any any rate. Uh, and John Bennett, um, who usually goes in the sports direction for his favorite stories, but wherever you want to go, John. <laughs> Let's keep the streak alive. Uh, there is a house component to this. Uh, this week, the owner of the Washington Capitals and uh, Wizards of the NBA, Ted Leonsis, um, let it be known that he would like uh, the small sum from D.C. taxpayers of $600 million mm. to upgrade the downtown Capital One Arena. Uh, it is one of the older arenas in the NHL and the NBA. Uh, Mr. Leonsis is correct about that. Uh, you know, he wants more luxury suites, more, you know, premium seating. He wants to renovate the the lower and and, and um, the mid-tier bowls to be closer to the ice and, and the court, um, which is all fine and good. And it is time to upgrade that arena. But $600 million from D.C. taxpayers seems like a lot to me. Uh, seems like a lot to Mar uh, Muriel Bowser. She's so far uh, announced that she will enter negotiations with Mr. Leonsis. But there's a bigger problem. She also is trying to get the Washington Commanders back to the former RFK Stadium site. That's going to cost a lot of money. And, but wait, there's more. The Washington <laughs> Nationals, um, they want some cash um, to upgrade Nationals Park, which opened, I believe, uh, what, 2008. So, so that's, a, that's suddenly a 15-year-old ballpark that does need upgrades. These stadiums have to be upgraded or you have to build a new one, keep up with the Joneses to create revenue. The Nationals want kind of a user tax on, you know, concessions, tickets, et cetera. Uh, but that's kind of a tax increase, isn't it? So suddenly um, Mayor Bowser has even more problems. Yeah. And so do those of us who live here, right? I, I, <laughs> so how real is the threat to go to Virginia, you know, just pick up and leave with uh, his teams? I've heard I've read reporting and heard speculation from from some radio hosts who are pretty plugged in that the six hundred million dollar figure might indicate uh, that Ted already has some kind of deal with Virginia, at least to move the capitals and that there's a there's a chance that the caps could play in Virginia and the Wizards would stay downtown here in D.C. But this is all early stages of, of these negotiations. Um, but. Where Bowser finds the money to get the commanders back and keep keep the hockey and basketball teams is it just seems like a, a really high bar to clear. Let's yeah. not forget the Mystics. <laughs> and you, they're fine. They're fine down in Anacostia. They they built a, a a smaller arena for the Mystics, so they're not going anywhere at least right now. Yeah, you know th this story is repeated 
so many times all over the country where uh, m local officials and local residents are being held hostage by these team owners, right, for ex exorbitant sums of money. Uh, anyway, we'll see how that plays out. I have to tell you, my favorite story of the week goes back to Tuesday's um, off-year elections and the one that I thought was just so uh, interesting. Uh, up in New York City, Youssef Salam is elected as the newest member of the New York City Council. Uh, a young man who first we first heard about, he was one of the teenagers back in 1989, April 1989, the so-called Central Park rape case, one of five teenagers who were wrongly imprisoned and convicted and sent to prison uh, for that crime, which they did not commit. He was finally exonerated when the real rapist came forth and confessed the crime. But meanwhile, uh, Salam had spent um, 13 years in prison. He was finally exonerated in 2002. And of course, while he was in prison with his friends, Donald Trump, then the big developer, ran full-page ads in the New York Times and other newspapers saying, we had to bring back the death penalty and execute these five teenagers. Um, what an irony that uh, today <laughs> uh, he uh, was not executed. In fact, he got out of prison uh, and was just re-elected to the New York City Council, while Donald Trump is now facing 91 counts of uh, federal charges against him. Uh, I think you can sum it up in one word, karma, right? <laughs> uh, and uh, Youssef Salam, good for him. Uh, and I'm sure he'll be a great new member of the New York City Council. And I'm glad uh, that uh, Donald Trump's plea uh, fell on deaf ears at the time and these teenagers were exonerated. And with that, we thank our panelists uh, for joining us today with all their great insights on the news of the week. Lynn Sweet, columnist and Washington bureau chief of the Chicago Sun-Times. Emily Gooden, U.S. political reporter for the DailyMail.com. And John Bennett, editor-in-large and analyst columnist over at CQ Roll Call. Thank you, guys. And thanks to all of our good friends for listening today. Uh, we will be back on Tuesday with our next podcast, talking to Brian Stelter, the former host of Reliable Sources on CNN, who's got a really great new book out about Fox News and the role Fox News played leading up to and getting out of the 2020 election and January 6th, of course. Brian Stelter coming up next Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everybody. And we'll see you Tuesday on the next edition of the Bill Press Pod. <laughs>